Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSV's podcast program, Conversations on New Jersey Education. I'm Ray Penny. I'll be your host for this morning's uh, podcast. Um, if Just to participate, there are two ways you can participate. You can call 1-347-989-8904 and press 1, and that will let Mike know, who's monitoring our switchboard, that you have a question and he'll get your uh, information and send it on to me. Uh, or you can just uh, log into our chat room. Uh, through Blog Talk Radio. You do have to register with Blog Talk Radio, but there's no uh, fee for that. Uh, in today's program, uh, we'll be t- discussing uh, if a district when a district has a transgender student, some of the legal guidelines that districts have to follow uh, as they go through with this. Uh, with us is Sherry Adams. Sherry's an attorney, a school board attorney, and uh, she's actually also a board member. So, Sherry, why don't you just tell us... Uh, First of all, welcome, and then just tell us a little bit about your firm and uh, your background. Okay, thank you, Ray. Uh, Good morning. Um, I am a partner and owner of Adams Gutierrez and Latibadere, a law firm that specializes in the representation of school districts. Uh, I myself have been practicing in the area representing school districts for uh, some 35 years now, Um, so uh, we've deal with all issues involving school districts, and as Ray said, I am also a board member in my town. I've been on the Board of Education there for 20 years as well. Wow. I didn't realize you were on the board that long, but I've known you since that time, so that makes sense. So um, (laughs) time flies. Uh, Well, first of all, when we get into a transgender, what laws do uh, guide a, a district in this? Is it federal law, state law? Well, there are actually both federal and state laws that address the topic. Um, in New Jersey, we have some specific laws, but a lot of the uh, what you may have been reading about in the paper over the last couple of years having to do with federal law, specifically Title IX, which is a um, federal law that prohibits discrimination based on gender, and there have been varying interpretation as to whether that law uh, protects gender identity or expression for uh, students who are tra- transgender. Um, we really don't have to worry about the resolution of that dispute. I know there's been a change in the administration, you know, the federal administration's view as to the scope of that law. But in New Jersey, we have specific laws that provide that uh, transgender individuals, including students, are protected against discrimination and are entitled to the same accommodations. Uh, advantages, privileges, and facilities as students who are not transgender. So uh, we have the law against discrimination. We also have uh, the the New Jersey legislature adopted a law um, in Title 18A, which reiterates that uh, transgender students are to receive the same protections against discrimination and be treated equally. So we have um, specific guidance in the state that really would supersede any question about the federal law's applicability. And that law has been around for a little while now, right, the law against discrimination? Oh, yeah. And, in fact, I think specifically uh, it's interesting the um, the provision in the law against discrimination having to do with, for example, use of facilities in a place of public accommodation, which would use, which would include schools, um, is something that's been in place at least since 2006, 
um, and it specifically provides that uh, a school or educational institution, um, if you have sex-segregated facilities such as bathrooms or locker rooms, that individuals who are, have a different gender identity must be permitted to utilize those um, facilities that are consistent with their gender identity. And, you know, I guess maybe we should just give a little background in terms of the terms that we're talking about, uh, which is basically in terms of gender identity. Gender identity is something that's different than the sex that's assigned at birth on the birth certificate. And gender identity is an internal expression by the um, particular individual as to the gender that they identify with. Um, which they may or n may not express through dress and names and et cetera. So there's a number of terms that are constantly being bandied around in this area, so it's important to get an idea of what we're talking about. Um, okay, let's start at the beginning. A, a student uh, comes to the, uh, I guess, the, the administration and says, I want to now be declared, uh, I uh, identify as a, a different gender than we knew him as, um, him or her. So what's the first, uh, does the district have any responsibility at that point? Do they contact the teacher and say, this is what you need to do? How do they proceed? Well, there are, um, there's a, really a number of factors. Um, we have, first of all, we have the fact that the right of identify, gender identity or gender expression is in the hands of the student. And that's in, uh, without regard to whether the parents of the student are aware of the issue, whether they support the child's decision or any other factors, um, the law makes clear and actually the new guidance that the, the Department of Ed issued in 2018 uh, also makes clear that it's up to the individual student to determine their gender identity. Um, if the student comes in to a staff member in the school um, and, and indicates that their gender identity is different than what their birth uh, sex assignment is, then the school district has a number of steps that they have to take. First and foremost, they have to recognize that the student has that right to make that decision, and then they have to work with how they can best accommodate that decision by the student um, and that, how they do that may depend on uh, whether or not the family of the student is aware of the situation. Um, and the law also makes clear, and sometimes this is what school districts have the most difficulty with, it makes clear that it's up to the student to share that information, and the school district does not have the right to then, uh, you know, just share the information either with the parent or any other individuals without the consent of the student. So we have scenario for what the school district has to do really differs depending on whether the parent is aware of it or not. So the first thing that we have to do, um, you know, is determine is the parent supportive of this. If the parent's supportive and depending on the age of the student, oftentimes the, the parent is the one coming to the school district uh, with the issue. Uh, and asking for help in basically facilitating the transition. Um, if the parent's not aware, then we have to approach it a different way. So should I go into the, the yeah, well, what we'll, I believe we'll go through, the issues? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to the if, there's the, if the parent's not supportive, I think that has a lot of different issues with it. But say the parent is yeah. supportive, um, 
Okay. I, I think the first things that uh, I always hear about are, particularly in the older grades, is well, not bathrooms. How do you handle the bathroom situation? Um, and the locker rooms. But let's start with the bathroom. Does it, the students, since the students driving this, uh, they get to pick the bathrooms that the, they if, say they went. They declaring as a female, and they were a male before. Uh, they use the girls' bathroom. Um, they can make that decision. So, I mean, that's part of one of the initial conversations that have. I think it's important to have a coordinated effort. So, so when the family, if the family's aware and the family and the student um, come in, they would then meet with the administration and they would sort of define the parameters of what they want to do. So they would basically, the student would um, have the right to uh, participate and use the facilities of the gender to which they identify, um, and the school has to facilitate that. So the initial thing that would happen is there would be a meeting in which they would discuss how the school can support the student's decision and the transition. So you would have issues about uh, addressing the timing of the decision, who is supposed to be made aware of the of this decision, um, the issue about records, and as you said, bathrooms, locker room, and et cetera. So the student has the right to use the facility, and that's, again, specific in the New Jersey Law Against Discrimination as well, the right to use the facility that is consistent with their gender identity. That is entirely up to the student um, and what the school district can do, depending on the wishes of the student, is the student, if the student wants to use the facilities, um, you know, the locker room or the facilities, the bathroom facilities that are designated to the sex that's consistent with the gender identity, the school must permit that. The school can, if it's appropriate and if that the student is interested in, in um, having a separate facility to use that's not a sex-segregated facility. Some places have gender-neutral uh, restrooms, um, so that's obviously an option, but the specifics and the guidance tells us that we can't require that. We can offer that as an option, and it also, the interesting thing is that DOE guidance suggests that we could offer that option um, as well to students who are uncomfortable, um, in, for example, in locker rooms sharing facility if a student is a mm -hmm. transitioning student. So, but we can't require the transgender student to basically use the one, the facility that's consistent with their birth, sex, assignment, unless they want to. And as we move through this, I guess the student really drives the, the, the final decision-making. Uh, Yes. Their wishes is what we need to accommodate the most. Uh, now, I'm sure there's communication along the way. Like, say in the classroom, and um, we'll say in elementary school right now because usually you're in with just one teacher. The teacher then has to, my understanding is if someone, they have to call them by their new name or uh, and, and use the proper uh, sex when they're saying, instead of saying he, they have, now have to say she. Or, or, and things of that sort, right? Right. So that that kind of also goes into the timing of the transition as an issue to be discussed, because there are things that we have to do legally um, that 
the law and the guidance requires, but there are also practical impacts. And, you know, from this, I bring my experience as a board member as well as, as being a board attorney. Um, there are issues about the timing and also how you can practically implement the choices of the student in a way that doesn't wreak havoc and also that protects the rights of everybody involved. So if the say the student wants to come in, it would make sense to have a discussion, particularly if it's during a school year, as to whether that transition to of gender identity could take place at a point that's a good breaking point in the school year, perhaps over the summer, and then the student returns um, with a you know the name consistent with the gender identity and the. Uh, use of a different pronoun. It's usually easier to do something like that and make sure that it's effective than trying to change mid-year. And obviously, then you would have the implications of dealing with the, the rest of the classroom and the students uh, if the change is made during the, the same year. Um, but again, it's up to the students, so that would, would be a topic of discussion as to whether that makes sense. And if it makes sense, then that's probably the most favorable way to do it. Um, in terms of the sharing of staff information, the school district is going to have to, when the student makes the request, uh, change the basic school records to indicate the new name and the new pronoun um, at, uh, that the child has identified with and utilize that going forward, they don't specifically, unless there's a need to, have to share the reason why that is or share information about the transition process with staff or with families or other students unless that's something that's discussed with the student and the student agrees to have information released. There are a few circumstances such as medical information and other circumstances that might arise where they'd have to share this information. But again, as in the other areas we talked about, it's pretty much directed by the student um, in terms of what information can be shared and when. So normally what you would do is when the, the student changes the gender identity, then the name would be reflected in the school records. The, um, uh, the pronoun would be consistent with the name. And there would be a separate file to the extent that there was not a legal name change. There would be a separate file that maintains the legal uh, documentation as to names and birth certificates, et cetera, that would be maintained separately from the ongoing file with the new gender identity information. So uh, I know you're not supposed to, you know, declare that this is happening, but I guess in the high school setting where a student may have as many as eight teachers, uh, uh, maybe an aide or someone else, do you have to notify uh, the people that that student has contact with, the, the staff, to say, make sure, especially if it happens mid-year, um, that you have a, you know, the student is, is transitioning. Right. Well, that's that's certainly a practical point that if it's a mid-year transition, say, or as many staff as involved, it, there's no question that the school staff are going to be responsible for using the new um, name and pronoun. So you would have to share that information, and obviously you can share information on an as-needed basis. But um, in terms of that situation, I think the important point would be making that known to the student who wants a mid-year transition, that this is obviously going to be a little bit uh, more involved than a change in between school years because we're going to have to um, basically 
explain to the staff the change being made, um, get them to you know, buy into using the new name and pronoun and to implement the process mid-year. And then we should also be, have a discussion with the student about what, if anything, is to be said to the remainder of the, the school's students and other individuals who have in contact with the student to address the need, like what can we share and do they want to be proactive and, you know, make some kind of uh, notice or announcement. So that's all something yeah, that can be done because that's a, as practically speaking, it's not going to be hidden if it happens mid-year. So there's going to be some fallout and what we want to do is get ahead of that and try to make a smooth transition where there are not a lot of issues and we don't receive a lot of phone calls about how what's happening and you know all of that. And so the communication, I guess, with the student is really important, uh, particularly if it's well at any point uh, that this is it's not going to be a secret, especially if you do it mid-year. Um, that you know, it's hard to keep something like that quiet, especially if their parents are not uh, aware of it. Oh, yeah. Well, if the parents are not aware, then there are a whole num a bunch of other factors that <laughs> come into play as well. But, you know, I think in terms of working with the student, if we can make the transition as smooth as possible and also provide the information as needed to the staff or parents, um, you know, with the student's consent, that's the best of all world because, uh, I think as you and I have talked about, Ray, before, it seems that in the current climate, it tends to be the adults who have more of a problem with this than the students, uh, and the students seem to be more acceptive of, uh, accepting of um, differences and, and these kind of issues that come up with respect to other kids. Yeah, I've heard that anecdotally from uh, board members in their district, that that's been more of the issue. Um, so let's do go to the situation because we just touched on it a little bit. If the parent is not supportive or or is unaware, um, it might be a best practice to tell that to tell the student that it'd be hard to keep this a secret just within the school building. Yeah. I mean, can you? Because it's not like you know someone's going to go home and say something to their parents. So can exactly. you make the student aware uh, of that situation? Yeah, I think you. I think you have to uh, in order to be fair. Um, the student comes. Uh, you know, first of all, as I said, I have. I have to talk about the legal parameters, and then I have to talk about the practicality. So legally, mm -hmm. if the student comes to school and is petrified, wants to identify as another gender, but does not want to share that information with their family because they have not shared it outside of school, that technically we must honor that request. However, I think we have to sit down with the student in such a circumstances and and discuss with the student the fact that just by virtue of the way a school district operates, it would be unlikely that that information would not eventually get out to the parent. For example, if the staff if the school is honoring their wishes and the school is using a different name and pronoun, even as as early as a back to school night, uh, there may be an issue where the the teacher is referring to the student by one name and pronoun, and the parent is referring to them by something else. So I think we have to talk to the student about the fact that, as a practical matter, it's unlikely whether it be through communications from the school or through communications outside as you said, other students going home, talking to their parents, or any number of circumstances, just 
by virtue of having the school operate on a day-to-day basis, that it's highly unlikely that that information would be kept a secret from the parents, even if the students' preferences to do that. So then the idea would be to try to put supports in place for the student and try to encourage the student to allow that information to be shared with the parent. And there are a number of supports that are available to try to help the student share that information with their family and friends so that uh, if they feel that strongly that they want to make that transition in school, that they're getting the support that they need in school and um, as well as the facilitating the transition without some, you know, inadvertent disclosure of a fact that's not known to the student's parents. Um, we're speaking with Sherry Adams. Uh, we're talking about transgender uh, issues with the school district when they have a student that they need to accommodate. Uh, if you have any questions, dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, 949 and press 1, and Mike, who's manning our switchboard, will uh, – Get the question, get you your information, and give it over to me. Um, and also, uh, we have the chat room open if you want to type in a question there. Um, so the age, the students can come out at any, uh, can transition and identify it at any age, and I think they have. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it's you know it's probably something that's surprising to many individuals, but the research suggests that students have a specific gender identity as early as three or four years old. Uh, so they're you know they're still a toddler, and and they may have a they may really have an internal sense of a, a gender identity that's different than their birth assignment. Um, and when when that comes around to a decision to make that transition depends in some degree to some degree on the involvement of the family um, or whether or not it's something that's recognized and pursued so uh, it's a feeling that you know the research says happens very early what a student does with that is individualized so some students may never transition meaning they may never change names they may never um, change dress or, or pronouns, uh, others might want to do that earlier rather than later and with the support of parents might even do that as they're entering school or in elementary school. So it's a, it happens all throughout and then, then others who have been basically covering or holding back the information might not make that transition to high school or after. So it, it's really individualized. I think the um, Another fact, and I think why the New Jersey Department of Ed and the um, legislature has made this a priority is because we find that the research also says that students who have gender identity issues or transgender students are often the target of bullying or harassment and that they have, there's a history of those students feeling that they were harassed based on their gender identity to some in some cases escalating to physical assault and that sometimes they leave school or 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 feel very unsafe at school based upon that so the idea is to try to put in support so that we don't reach that situation with respect to students who have this issue starting you know as early as prior to age five and um, I, I probably should have talked about this earlier. What about uh, uh, sports and athletics, uh, much, which is mostly in the high school? Um, can what, what team do they participate with? 
Okay, so there there are two different rules. Okay, so one rule is has to do with um, schools that have their sports, you know, their internal sports or activities in the school setting, and that's governed by the the um, the guidance, the DOE guidance, and that basically says that the school's obligation is to ensure that uh, that students are able to participate on the basis of their gender identity. Um, in terms of educational programs and activities, even if in, uh, in circumstances where other students, parents, or community members raise objections or concerns. So that says clearly that where a school has a program or an activity the student is that's sex segregated, the student should be able to participate by and consistent with the gender identity. When we get into high school or sports that are governed by the um, NJSIA, you know, the Athletic Association, they have recently as well uh, adopted a transgender policy or modified their gender identity policy to recognize that um, by law they have now established that a student can be eligible for participation in a particular sport or activity um, based upon their gender identity or their birth sex, but not both. So what they say is that it's up again to the student. So once the student identifies um, as a particular gender, they may participate in the sports or activities consistent with that gender. Um, they do talk about the fact that if a student is transitioning not only uh, in terms of names or dress, but might be physically transitioning, for example, taking hormones, that that is an, an issue that while uh, substances, controlled substances are um, prohibited in terms of NJSI policy, that they will take into account if there are certain uh, hormones or things being taken as part of a transition for gender identity. I don't know what that means, but it says that they will take that into account. So assuming that the student <laughs> makes a decision as to what uh, gender they identify with and what gender they're, they want to participate in in sports or activities, they can't change that decision. So they can't go out for one boys team and then change and go out for the girls team in another sport. So once the gender identity decision is made, it's made until unless a different decision is made permanently. Um, so and, and you talked about they can't go back and change their identity for different sports. I guess this will tr trigger another question that I used to get a lot uh, and that you hear a lot is like, well, w someone can say I'm declaring as a, say as a female just so they can go into the, uh, the girl's bathroom or something to that effect. Uh, but once they declare uh, that they're transitioning, it's not something that you have seen that where people go back and forth. It's something that's permanent. No one that really switches, do they? Well, no. I know I've heard that same question, and the concern is that people would do that for other reasons, um, you know, just make that statement so they can go in. But it has such a, a long – it is so, you know, so integral to a, a person's identity, and um, it's something that is a real struggle for individuals who really have gender identity issues. Um, so it's not something that – is taken lightly, nor is it something that they view as, you know, 
a flavor of the month kind of thing that they're going to change. It's basically a situation where the individual is trying to to ultimately act consistently with what they've been feeling all along. So I haven't seen that as a, uh, I understand the concern, but I, I would think that if a, for a person to identify as one gender, you know, falsely, just for a certain purpose, that would be, uh, that seems out of out of the realm of likelihood because it, there are all kinds of consequences that would follow from that. So it's not like you're going to go back and forth and then there's consequences in terms of the students and changing names and pronouns and what you're going to be um, treated, how you're going to be treated going forward in terms of what facilities you're going to use and otherwise. So I, I don't believe that that's, you know, that might be a, I, I guess if, it's always possible if there's someone who's a sociopath or something who wants to, to try to do that as a read, but I have not seen that as an issue. Yeah, I haven't I seen it either. I don't think that's really I've, a valid concern. I've heard those remarks more from adults. Um, let's exactly. go to a couple other things. Um, a, a school district cannot like tell other parents uh, that a student is transitioning. Um, but can they do something like at the beginning of your uh, talk about their policies in, with transgender students? Yes, they can do that. And they can share information about a specific student to the extent that the student wants that information shared. And, mm-hmm. what, and then they have to be careful about what they do, uh, what they, how they share it. But what happens is that the school district, even under the guidance now that the DOE has come up with, is responsible for including tolerance and these issues, um, both staff training about dealing with students with gender identity issues and then uh, social emotional learning having to do with protecting um, students with differences and that would cover also the issue about uh, transgender students. I mean, I think obviously depending on the age of the students that you're dealing with, you're going to have different a different kind of uh, instruction or kind of conversation mm-hmm. with the students in terms of tolerance. You might start with just tolerance of differences in people, uh, and then you might get into a more specific thing that would uh, deal with the issues about you know sexual preference or gender identity and those kind of things that would come up later on as the student matures. But you are uh, required to provide an environment um, that protects these students from being discriminated against. I mean, in particular in, in New Jersey, that gender identity or expression is specifically included as something protected under the HIB laws as well. So the harassment, intimidation, and bullying, that's a basis of making a claim if a student is being targeted for some kind of negative conduct or behavior based upon their gender identity as well. And so I would assume you should, teachers should always be aware of it, but if they have a student who's, identi- who's transitioning, they probably should be aware that uh, of the bu- HIV and make sure that there's nothing going on in, in that area as well because these students probably could be subjected a little bit more frequently than other students. Yeah, I think, as I said before, based on the statistics, it looks like that was a fairly uh, regular 
occurrence that there was targeting behavior. So that I think is the is the motivation for, you know, modifying the laws and putting in these specific protections. So I do think it's important for the school district to keep an eye on that, particularly if they're aware of a student transitioning, to make sure that that student isn't suffering any kind of discrimination or harassment on that basis. I mean, obviously, you want the student to be in a safe environment, and we also have the obligation to make sure it's a safe environment and one in which the student isn't uh, harassed or bullied. And um so the district um, is responsible for uh, kind of summarizing that uh, they can't uh, uh, out the students uh, who's doing any of this, uh, who's transitioning, because they have to obey the students' wishes no matter what. So even if they uh, don't want their parents to know, it, the district has to obey the not obey, but has to follow the district uh, the students' wishes. Yeah, they do. But again, this is another practicality thing. So say, for example, you have a student and the student was um, had is using a different gender identity in school but hasn't informed the parents. Um, if that student is making a claim that they're being bullied or if it, if it comes becomes known to the school that they're being bullied on that basis, then you're going to have to have a discussion with the student that in order to pursue that, they're going to have to, you know, there are required notifications to parents and whatnot about what the claim is about. So it's just, it would be very difficult to try to maintain as a practical matter um, some kind of barrier that pre prevents the parents from getting information about the situation with the student in school. Thus, the idea of trying to use counseling and other resources to try to support the student in sharing information. You know, the same thing could be a ca the case in, in the case of um, of a student in a classroom who maybe wants to transition mid-year, as we talked about earlier. Uh, you might want to really talk to the student about having some ability to share information, whether it be through the student directly, their family, or otherwise, depending again on the age of the class of the kids in the class share information about what's happening so that it's just not talked about you know outside of school and back rooms and really is upfront and trying to promote the tolerance and the kind of acceptance that we're looking for okay and that was so that's always been the best practice though is the communication uh mm -hmm between the student and the school district and the parents. I, I think from my experience, most of the parents are, vast majority, are always aware. And, and, some, and sometimes they're the strong advocate who come first. Right. No, and that is true. And that makes it easier in terms of transition because generally they do think of those things. So the parents do think about how they want it communicated to other, um, you know, staff members or parents or other children in the class. Um, you know, I know you and I have both heard uh, the other side, which is people raising concerns about them, other parents not being told about information. And, you know, as we talked about legal, from the legal standpoint, we can't share information with people other than the, who's authorized, who are authorized to share information with by the student. Um, but uh, we have to try to navigate that as well, particularly if there's a situation as you as we talked about where there's some mid-year change and then someone's going to go home and report it to their parents and we're going to get calls from all the other parents as to what exactly is happening so to the extent that we could work with the student uh, about 
getting some kind of uniform approach to those kind of inquiries, that would be helpful. Okay. And that would be the, and that's why it's probably important to always address this the tolerance issue, say at back to school night or on a pretty regular basis, uh, so that the parents are always aware that this could be occurring. And I think it it's occurring in most schools that I know of, anyway. Yeah, actually, you know, that's a very good point, right? Because it would make sense to have in some of the initial. Um, either in the initial communications with the parents or at an initial meeting with the parents, it might be um, helpful for boards to have a little discussion about what the rules are for schools and why why they're acting the way they do in these areas and that we have to accommodate the differences of our students and staff members and we have to um, honor their wishes so that, uh, you know, if they that they should not uh, you know, expect that all of this information, you know, it's not a, everyone trying to keep a secret. It's the legal requirement that we need to act consistently with the wishes of the individuals in terms of sharing information. So that would be good. Um, and that we do have an obligation to tolerate the differences uh, in various individuals, including our students. In okay. Uh, any other final thoughts on this? I'd like to thank you for joining me. Oh, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I I think just again, you know, there, the legal requirements seem very uh, strict, and they are very strict. Um, and that I think, from the adult standpoint, seems to have provoked somewhat of a negative response. But I think uh, if we talk about utilizing those legal requirements and trying to work through uh, in a practical way and in a supportive way with the individuals and the students that we're dealing with, then we can avoid, um, you know, legal liability, and we can also avoid havoc in the school district from the community in general. And also make the students' transition much easier. Of course, yes. Yes. Okay. I'd like to thank Sherry Adams for joining us on this program, uh, and um, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, Sherry. Uh, thank you, Ray. Bye-bye. All right. Bye now.